Let me ask you a question. If you had an opportunity to sit with Jesus for just a moment and privately ask, make a request of him, ask him a question, what would your question be? The great interviewer uh, and late uh, legendary interviewer, Larry King, passed away last year. He was asked this question. If you could interview anyone in all of history without hesitation, this man who is Jewish said, I would interview Jesus Christ. And he said, what, the interviewer asked him, what would you ask him? And he said, well, I would start with this question, were you indeed virgin born? And he said, the answer to that question would define all of history for me at that moment. What about you? What would you ask Jesus if you were getting coffee with Jesus or maybe be, you were able to go on a walk with Jesus and you weren't in a crowd, you could ask him something privately, what would your request be? What would, what would uh, your question to Jesus be? One pastor put this out on Facebook and uh, he got all kinds of responses as I'm sure you can imagine. One guy's response was a reverential response. He said this, he said, I wouldn't ask him anything. I would just fall down at his feet and I would worship him. And I, I, I think that would be an appropriate thing when you encounter Jesus, right? Many were not quite as formal. Uh, one guy said, my main question would be, why are there mosquitoes? That's my question, okay? Good question. I don't know if I would waste my question on that or my request, but some of them were a little more personal in nature. One person just asked this, why do you love me? Why? I think it just reveals a little bit of that heart. Uh, one person was also a personal question. Uh, why did my brother have to die? I mean, there are, there are deeper questions. There are some that are like that. I think these questions, without a doubt, these questions reveal our desires. Questions reveal our, maybe our broken areas, maybe things we're having a hard time getting past. It reveals some of our dreams. Questions and requests reveal really what's going on inside of our hearts, especially if we're not worried about how we might be judged. I love what uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, she was asked this question. Uh, she's a quadriplegic, uh, had a diving accident. She's a, a Christian author and speaker. Uh, she's been uh, paralyzed for many years. And she was asked this question and she said, the first thing I'm gonna ask Jesus when I get to heaven is, can we dance? Can we dance? And I love that. There's gonna be some really surprised Baptists for sure as they are dancing in, uh, in heaven. Now, uh, we're in this series, in the, in the, we're looking in the Gospel of Mark. You can turn there with me. And we're in a series that is called The Walk. And what we've been doing is we've been, we began it last week. If you missed, please go check it out because you're gonna really get even, it's gonna build into today and, uh, and, and, uh, and you can go listen to that online. But we're on a road trip with Jesus. We're walking with him where the scripture says, that he resolutely turned his face toward Jerusalem. And uh, he came with a mission, we all know that. And his mission is to, was to redeem us and to, and to restore us back into relationship with the Father. But there's a moment where it says he turned his face towards Jerusalem. And he began to walk with determination. And we're on a journey and a walk with him from Galilee in the north to Golgotha. And we'll be getting there in a few days. 
In Mark chapter 10, we're going to read this passage uh, starting in verse 46. But before we get there, i got to share this good news with you. Uh, we are in the, in the middle of this season where we were raising funds for all of our missions that's outside the walls. Last week, we were sitting at $157,000 that you guys have so generously given. This week, we are sitting at $265,000. That, uh, that's awesome, man. Uh, especially in, a, in an unstable economy and people are kind of scared right now, I just want to just commend you for being so generous. I love being a part of a church. 100% of that is going to go into ministries locally and globally. Lives are going to be changed because of your generosity. Thank you so much for that. Let's look in chapter 10, verse 46 of Mark. It says this, Then they reached Jericho. Who's the they? That is the disciples along with a very large entourage that has been gathering with Jesus in a crowd. A crowd is following Jesus. It says this, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd that's been standing out with me both last week as well as into today as we look at this text. There are crowds that follow Jesus for various and different reasons. That's something that will be revealed. A large crowd followed him. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of of Timaeus was sitting beside the road. I want you to notice now where he is at. He's on the outside, isn't he? Okay, outside of the crowd, really. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth, the one we were just singing about, was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Look at the crowd's response. Be quiet. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, I want everyone to say this with me. What does it say he did? Jesus, it says he, come on, he stopped. He stopped and he said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up. They said, come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up, came to Jesus and he asked this question, and this is going to be familiar if you were with us last week. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Now there is incredible significance. Every story in the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, I want you to know and understand the significance of this encounter between Jesus and this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. It's just a few days before Jesus is going to be entering into Jerusalem, seemingly into what would be great triumph, because in a matter of days, people are going to be praising him and waving palm branches. We'll break that down next week, so you need to come back. We're going to talk about that part of the walk. The crowd around Jesus was growing larger as each day on this walk would pass by. His popularity was growing. Uh, he was becoming more like a celebrity and a celebrity sighting. And this, this speculation was going around because of many of his miracles and the things that he was saying. Many people were wondering, could he be the Messiah? Many have been walking with him from the northern part. If you will have a map, I want to show you that we had last week. We said that the Gospel of Mark is kind of broken into like three acts if it was a play. 
You have the, the first act, which is up in Galilee, which is where Jesus is hometown of Nazareth and, and uh, where Cana, where he inaugurated his first miracle, changing water into wine. That is in the first act. And then in the middle of chapter 8, where we were at last week, Jesus asked them a question. Who are people saying that I am? And Peter, if you'll recall, said, well, the other disciples said, well, they're saying you're like Elijah, the prophet. You are, you're, uh, you know, one of the prophets. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Master, you are the son of God. Makes this bold declaration. It's not long after that that Jesus turns towards Jerusalem, and he begins this walk from Caesarea Philippi, about as far north as he would go in his journeys, down towards, in Galilee, down towards the cross, towards Golgotha. Now, here's some interesting things. Now, in Act 2, this is where we're at right now. It's part of the walk. It's walking along with him. And what I wanted you to do last week, and if you're new here this week, I want you to insert yourself into the crowd. Okay, it's going to be easy to do because the, the story is really just so vivid and you get such detail. I want you to put yourself in the crowd as if you are walking with Jesus and you're hearing the sounds and you're smelling the smells and seeing the sights and, and you're in this excited crowd. People are excited to be around Jesus and now he is getting out of, nearly out of Act 2. We're still in Act 2 at the southern part there. He is going into a town that is, now the northern towns were thought of as insignificant by the more blue blood type Jews. They looked down upon those who were from the north because uh, there were significant cities in the south, that of Jerusalem and where he is entering into today and is going to be beginning to move towards Jerusalem, this town of Jericho. You may know about Jericho. Uh, it, it, it was a, a town of great significance to the Jews as they were entering into the promised land. It was where their first victory was. And now here's what I want you to see in this map because it's incredible to be able to show you the topography of Israel and to see where Jericho is. Some facts about Jericho. Jericho is the lowest city uh, geographically on the planet. It is 850 feet below sea level. You can see the Mediterranean Sea off there uh, to the west. It is, it is the lowest city on the planet. It is a beautiful city, great garden city where there would be uh, a lot of uh, wonderful trees and just beautiful stuff there. And it is around 17 miles outside of, outside of Jerusalem and to get to Jerusalem. That's why it would often say they would go up to Jerusalem because not only it was the capital of that area, but it was up in the mountains. And so to be able to travel, you were going to have to, it was going to be a tough trip. Uh, Jerusalem would be 2,500 feet above sea level. So, I mean, it's going to be a, a journey making that trip. This road to Jerusalem, here uh, I, I want to show you this road. Uh, that uh, Do we have that? Bring the road up, the actual road. I want you to see this really quickly. Um, there you go. That is the actual road there where Jesus would have traveled going through those mountains. I want you just to kind of get in your mind what that looks like, okay? Now, all over Israel, in Act 1 and Act 2, if you're thinking along those terms with me, Jesus has been working all kinds of miracles in the north. He changed the water to wine in a little hick town called Cana. He was from a hick town called Nazareth. Remember that? And, and so he was kind of looked down upon by those who were 
uh, in the south by those who were the blue blood Jews. And Jesus would do miracles where he walked on water in the Sea of Galilee. He calmed the storms. This was all in the north in that act one, okay? He would heal the sick. He cast out demons. He, he would multiply loaves and fish for people who were hungry. He would heal those who were, had leprosy. He gave sight to those who were blind. He even raised the dead. The thing I'm wanting you to kind of begin to understand is there was excitement about this man. They were excited about him. They were waiting for a Messiah, but their idea of Messiah was different, and Jesus was beginning to show them that. People were a little bit confused by some of the things that he was saying that he was going to suffer. If you were here last week, he talked very specifically about his suffering. Jesus announced early on, when his ministry years began, that he came to set the captives free. He came to give good news to the broken and the poor and, the, and those who were downcast. And then he said this very specifically, and he came to give sight to those who are blind. Now, there's, there's a lot of significance in what is about to happen here. There's a, in fact, you, you should know that Jesus had confrontations with the religious leaders about, this, uh, about a healing that happened where he healed another blind man. They were trying to trap Jesus into, uh, into this religious debate. And, and, and their mentality was, if you had an ailment like this, you did something wrong. You were cursed by God, so to speak. And, and so they asked, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither one. Right? And Jesus said, in fact, I'm going to show you something in this, and, and, and here's what we see. This is in the Gospel of John. He says this. Now, he was criticized for healing this other blind man on the Sabbath. I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think that they see that they are indeed, they're blind. Now, I want you to think about that. Those who think they see, there are two different kinds of folks that are in the crowd. There are those who have physical sight, and then there are those who also have, maybe have physical sight and have what? Spiritual sight. Spiritual sight, okay? So some Pharisees, those are the religious leaders who were standing nearby, they heard him when Jesus said that, and they said this, and they were kind of bowed up at him. Are you saying we're blind? Is that what you're saying? And Jesus is like, uh, yeah, okay, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you, and he's bold, remain guilty because you claim that you can see. Now, Jesus' popularity is growing. Remember, we're in Act 2. He's, he's done all these miracles. And people are saying, this guy teaches like nobody has ever taught before. With authority. He's powerful. There's something about this guy. you got to come check him out. And he's showing compassion to people who were broken and outcast, which, which many people felt that way. The only ones who did not feel that way were the religious people, were the prideful religious leaders. And so now what I'm wanting you to see is that the crowd is packed with religious people on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, many are converging and coming on this road. Some are following Jesus, but some are just on the road because they're headed to Jerusalem, the epicenter where all of religious activity would happen for the Jews. Many are on this road and they are checking Jesus out. Bartimaeus was on the outside of this crowd. Many were on the inside of the crowd. Bartimaeus was pushed to the edges. 
We don't know what precipitated Bartimaeus. We don't know is what caused his blindness, what precipitated that. Um, there's, a, there's a word that is used in this story that indicates that at some point he had sight. Okay, Now, in the original language is where we kind of see that. In the English, we kind of missed that a little bit. We don't know how long he's been blind. What we know is that he finds himself in the most unfortunate of predicaments and brokenness. He is pushed to the edges, okay? His physical blindness is going to cause him to be in a great place of desperation where he is begging. But here's what we're going to see. Despite his physical impairment, Bartimaeus is somebody that has incredible vision, Because we're going to see that he sees Jesus for who he is. He's a blind man that we would say actually has perfect vision. There were people in the crowd all around Jesus that could physically see, but they were were spiritually blind. And they still didn't understand or believe who Jesus was. And I really think this, as I was reading this this week, I was thinking about my own journey. I was thinking about all the churches I've been a part of throughout my lifetime. I believe this, that this, this text reveals to us that in every crowd in every crowd, in every church, that there are people who are a part of the crowd. They're a part of the crowd, and yet they still have an unconverted heart. They've not been, their life hasn't been changed. They're still spiritually blind. They maybe have been around the things of God, the things of Jesus. They know the songs. They maybe make the, the, the annual pilgrimage, maybe on Easter or at Christmas or maybe a couple times a year, or maybe they come every single week. Many know how to look religious. We know how to do it, don't we, right? We're aware of what that looks like, but for whatever reason, whatever reason, whether it's spiritual pride like the Pharisees, maybe it could be nobody has explained what it means to understand a relationship with Christ, They can physically see, but they're spiritually blind. It happens. This shows this. I really believe this. You say, Bart, how do you know? Because that's part of my story. When my family started going to church, I was around the things of God for several years. And then as a teenager, I realized I knew how to sing the songs. We went to church every week. In fact, every time the doors were open there for a period of time. Uh, But my heart had not been converted. I I was going to church, but that didn't make me a Christian. I was just in the crowd at church, and, and, and I was spiritually blind. I had an unconverted heart. Then the Lord helped me when I was 16 ish years old, right in that range, to realize I had a desperate need for a relationship with Jesus. And I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I want you to know, He changed my life. I went from just being in the crowd to having a converted heart, and now my life was changing. He was beginning to give me new desires as I began to grow in him, and he began to help me grow, okay? And I think what this, what this story shows us, and I want to point some things out to you, is that there are different kinds of people in the crowd. There are those who are in the crowd and go through the religious motions, and there are those who have a converted heart. There are those whose lives have been changed. You need to begin to assess which one you're, you are in the crowd. Some key markers of a heart that's changed by Jesus. This shows us this. What are some indicators? Bartimaeus' story shows this, that it starts in a place of brokenness. A heart that changes becomes aware of the broken condition, becomes aware that, uh, that, that there's a need. So what we see is that 
we see Bartimaeus is in a marginalized position. He's pushed to the outside of town. He's pushed to the outside of the road. He's in the outer edges of the crowd. He is an outsider. He's alienated. Look at verse 46. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd, a crowd followed him. A blind beggar, all right, now there's a contrast, named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. You see, he's on the edges. The large crowd pressing around Jesus. Now, here's another interesting fact. Uh, as I was studying this, and I love this kind of stuff, what's interesting is whenever you know kind of the chronology of when Jesus' ministry was happening, Jesus had entered into Jericho in Act 2. Now, there was another gospel that records another encounter that Jesus has with, a, with another man who was an outsider around this same time. It's right before this, most likely. Could be hours, could be the day before. But it's a guy who was the chief tax collector in Jericho, and his name was Zacchaeus. Now, what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, if you're a church person, he was a wee little man, wasn't he? My wife told me yesterday, she said, you know there are going to be a lot of people that have no idea what you're talking about, okay? That, that reveals if you were in Sunday school as a kid. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, okay, who climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, okay? Now, this is, an, this is a tree that is in Jericho. It is a sycamore tree. It's, probably, it's not the tree, but it's one that I want you to envision him climbing up into that tree, right? Now, what was happening was the crowd was around Jesus, this guy, Zacchaeus, who was an outsider and despised because he was chief tax collector, he was a cheat, he was the lowest of low, he was the sinner of sinners in that town. But he wanted to see this one he had heard about, Jesus. Maybe Jesus would treat him a little differently. So he climbed up in the tree because there were big tall people that were all around like Randy Miller. He couldn't see past them. And so he's like, you know, he was short like me. And so he climbs up and he's just, what I'm wanting you to see is there's this, this eagerness to see Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? You know, the story he's walking by, stops. Hey, Zacchaeus, you calm down. <laughs> okay, you're still singing the song. Come down. Come down from there because I'm going to go to your house and I'm going to have a meal with you. And if you read the story, we begin to see a heart that is converted and changed. Jesus gets criticized. What are you doing hanging out with this, this sinner? And Jesus reveals, I came for sinners. I'm a friend of sinners. Are you glad he's a friend of sinners? I am. I came for sinners, for broken people. Zacchaeus' life has changed. I'm just wanting you to know, the crowd was big. People were looking. Everyone was trying to figure out what's going on. Now, incidentally, the only other recorded conversions in the last few days of Jesus' life, check this out. This is amazing. Blind Bartimaeus, an outsider, Zacchaeus, an outsider and chief tax collector, despised. The third one was the thief on the cross, a sinner, an outsider. Fourth one, the Roman centurion, a sinner, a Gentile dog. Here's what I'm wanting you to hear. This is all in here for a reason. An outsider. This is who he came for. 
he begins to make this and get himself ready to make this 18-mile journey from 850 feet below sea level to 2,500. It's going to be a tiring journey. And so many people, I just want you to think, in the crowd, it was loud, it was bustling. There were all kinds of noises and smells. There were animals that were traveling. People were trying to get there. And then there's this celebrity sighting of Jesus. And people are like, it's Jesus. You know, people get excited about celebrities. And and they stop and they're like, could he be the one? And Mark shifts his focus from the crowd. And now all of a sudden it's like a camera like pans. This is the way I see it. Pans to these guys on the outside, the outsiders. And Bartimaeus, there's some other beggars there, by the way, and the other gospels record that. But for some reason, Mark focuses on the one, the outcast, the less fortunate. Everybody else was in the crowd. They were on the outside of the crowd. Mark does something here. He mentions this guy who was insignificant, he mentions his name. And what does he show us? He is somebody's son. Son of Timaeus. Bar meant son, Timaeus. What is he doing? He's showing us he's a person, that he matters. He, he most likely, Bartimaeus felt marginalized by people because their culture looked down on you if you had an ailment like that. You were getting what you deserved. That's how they treated them. He also most likely felt marginalized and broken, marginalized in a relationship from God because he was unable to make the 18-mile trip from Jer- Jericho to Jerusalem unless somebody walked him. And took him, and that's where they went uh, for temple, for worship. Nobody was helping this guy get there. What Bartimaeus understood was what it means and feels like to be alienated. Bartimaeus understood what it feels like to have brokenness in his life. And he was passed over. Bartimaeus understood what it was like to feel broken and like nobody, including himself, could fix his problem. He understood that. What I think that this passage shows us is this, is that all of us, if we understand our condition that Scripture says we are in apart from God, all of us are like Bartimaeus. Now, you might not think that you are, but that would indicate some spiritual blindness. We all have brokenness. We all are sinners. The Scripture tells us that we're all alienated from God on the outside, looking in because we can never be good enough to earn a relationship with God. Our sin has separated us from God. But that's why Jesus came, is to restore us and to bring us into the fold. Before a heart can change, before a life can be transformed, there has to be a recognition of a need for a Savior. You see, you don't just have a converted heart because you walk in the doors of a church. There has to be at some point, just like in my life, where I'd been going to church for all those years, where I realized something, and my mom, she noticed it. She said, what's going on? And I said, I don't think I'm I'm in a, I don't think I'm going to heaven. I'm a church person, but I don't know Jesus the way you and dad do. And then I humbled myself, because I had some spiritual pride at that point. And I just said, you know what? I need you, Jesus. And I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And then, you know what began to happen? My life began to change. My life, because I had converted heart, I'd gone from spiritual death to life. I'd gone from spiritual blindness to sight. 
This is what he does in our lives. This is what this shows us. And, and, and I had been tired. I, I was so tired of just being a part of the religious crowd. Are you a part of the religious crowd or do you have a converted heart where he's changed you? Okay, and, and I'm, I'm saying this, you can go to church all of your life and never have a converted heart. And we need to understand this. Every person whose heart has been changed first has to admit, Jesus, I need you as my savior. I, I, I can't get to you without, uh, to God without you. Bartimaeus' condition shows us this, okay? Here's another thing we see about a changed heart. And I want you to think about this. What do we see in Bartimaeus? We see a confession of Jesus as Savior, and I want to explain this to you. A confession. There's a confession of him as Savior, this unusual commotion. They're going up the hill. There's a lot of noise around. Thousands of people are passing by. Verse 47, when Bartimaeus, now he can't see, but like many who are blind and have that impairment, they have acute hearing. And he notices there's something different going on that day. Remember, you're in the crowd and you may just be walking in the crowd, but he hears there's something different today. Maybe people were crying out Jesus' name. He says this, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, now this is really important, Jesus, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Now Bartimaeus had obviously heard of Jesus and the miracles that he had done. No doubt he had heard about this. Everybody was talking about this. The crowd was talking about it. But here's what this statement that he makes indicates, that he believes something about Jesus that others in the crowd had not believed. Because he makes this statement, son of David. Somehow this Jesus of Nazareth, and that's where some of the religious leaders would criticize Jesus. And people would, he can't be the Messiah, he's from Nazareth. The Messiah, the word of God would say, and they would point this out, he has to be born in Bethlehem. Hello? He was, but he just grew up in the north. The son of David was shorthand for the prophesied one, the one they had been waiting for, the deliverer. And, and this was Bartimaeus' public confession. You are the son of David. You are the Messiah. You're the one. The only other person that we have recorded who had said anything like this at this point was Peter when they were up in Caesarea Philippi when he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the son of God. There, we don't find any other recording of this on the road, on the walk. This was more of a private thing that Peter said. This was a public declaration. He's crying this out in front of all of these people. You're the son of David. By the way, go do a, go do a Bible study on son of David, okay? I don't have time to take you there today. But in 2 Samuel chapter 3, what it indicates is this. It indicates that the line, the lineage of the Messiah would come from God had promised David that, that he would be established on the throne forever. Would we know that David died, okay? But someone in that lineage. And so the scripture is very explicit through prophecies to say this over and over in Isaiah, in Psalms, in Ezekiel, in these Old Testament passages. And then even in the New Testament, how does the gospel of Matthew start with a lineage? How does the gospel of Luke start with a lineage? By the way, both of those lineages, are they appear to be different, but one is the lineage of Mary, and the other is the lineage of Joseph. Do you love how the Bible is showing us something there? It's showing us that Jesus, who comes from this lineage, that Jesus was this son of David. This was significant, okay? 
the crowd had not settled on this yet. The crowd was still wondering about Jesus. The broken blind beggar, though, says, Jesus, son of David, you're the one. You're the one. I know it. Now, quick side note, back to verse 48, okay? And this is a little painful for those of us who are church people to read, but I think it's sobering for us. There's a lesson in this. This broken man is crying out for Jesus the Savior, isn't he? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you know what we notice here? Nobody is helping him get to Jesus. In fact, these religious people in this religious crowd, instead of helping this man and having compassion, instead of being a bridge, they're a roadblock. And they're even saying, shut up. Will you just shut up? By the way, be quiet is too polite. In the original language, it is shut up. You are annoying. That's, that's in essence the way that it comes across. You are you are a nuisance. Go away. You're a, you're a nuisance to this Nazarene miracle worker. That's what is being said, but he would not be deterred. He only shouted louder, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Think about it, church people. Think about it. They had heard about what Jesus had done for other people. Nobody in that crowd had compassion. Nobody, nobody was like, you know what, not even the disciples. Nobody was like, you know, he's healed some other blind people. Let's help these guys. Let's, let's bring. Now, what I love about this passage I think is so interesting, okay? Um, and we don't know why they wouldn't. They were annoyed. Some were annoyed by his brokenness. It's interesting how we can be annoyed by others' brokenness, but not our own. And we want compassion for our stuff, but not other people's junk. And maybe they were just indifferent. Maybe they were in a hurry. Maybe they were preoccupied. What I do know is it reveals they were not bridges. They were roadblocks. It'd be a good thing to ask yourself if you know Christ, am I more of a bridge or am I annoyed with people that are broken and I'm a roadblock? Am I more of a roadblock? It's hard to sometimes have compassion. What we do see is nobody cared. Nobody cared. Now, what I also see is this same crowd that was following Jesus who had no compassion was the same crowd that in a matter of days would be declaring, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then the moment Jesus doesn't do what, what they want him to do, what are they crying out next? Crucify him. Same people. Same people says something about that heart. Now this man, he asked not only for healing, you need to know that there is salvation language that is used here. He asked for mercy. It's not just to physically see again. There was something else deeper that this text reveals that's going on. I'll show you in a moment. And man, I couldn't wait to get to this point this week, okay? You ready? All week, I've been just so eager to share this with you. While everybody else is doing what everybody else does, which is the way our world is, which is the way we can be in the church world, Jesus does what Jesus does. And he shows us physically. He stops everything. And this man who seems so insignificant, who realized that he had this one shot for Jesus, his hope was in Jesus. What does Jesus do? stops and gives one 
broken man in a huge crowd who was thought of by everyone as unimportant, overlooked by all, Jesus gives one, and I want you to hear this if you feel on the outside, one person in the crowd, undivided attention. Has he done that with you before? Well, you have an encounter with him. And he, he's looking right at him. He stops and he's going to show him this. When Jesus heard him, it says, he stopped. When he saw Zacchaeus, what did he do? He stopped. Wait a minute. This guy, Jesus, is headed, and he just said, to be crucified. He's got something on his mind, do you think? He has a mission. What he shows us is that people like this should not be interruptions. The people are the mission. It's why we're here. And he goes on, he says, so they called him. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. But Jesus, now I was thinking, Jesus had healed in a number of different ways. Jesus had healed people in another town and just said, go home, your, your loved one's okay now. And they were healed. Jesus could have just walked by like, hey, I'm a man on a mission. I got to get to the cross. I got stuff to do. You're healed. You know, good, good, good. No, Jesus stops. I think Jesus is doing something here. All those who are compassionless, his disciples seem to be in this crowd as well. He stops and he shows special attention to a broken man. And he speaks to him. And he begins to give his full attention. What does this teach us? Jesus loves and cares for the ones that are thought of as nobodies. And he shows us that every person is a somebody. Amen, church, right? That, that's why we exist as a church. It's for, for those that others are annoyed by. And in our brokenness, we see this. So they bring Bartimaeus. And I can just, you're in the crowd. The anticipation rises. Now all eyes are on Bartimaeus. Many of them hadn't seen him at all. They just walked by. The commotion settles down. Was he going to do it again? Was he going to heal somebody again? Now here's what we see, another marker of a changed life. We see in Bartimaeus, we see an eager disposition. We see something began to happen within him whenever someone actually pays attention to him. We see what we're about to see is an abandonment. To Jesus. Look at verse 50. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up and came to Jesus. And I'm just imagining this. He's sitting down on the road. He's, he's got his cloak around him. There's dust all over him from all the people walking by. He's used to people being rude to him. Just telling him to shut up. You know, you're bothering people. Go away. And then he hears the voice of the master. Tell him to come to me. He jumps up. He throws his cloak off. You realize this? That was probably, if not his most prized possession that he had, maybe the only thing he had. And he throws it aside, and I can see him doing this. The crowd, everybody, I can just see him feeling people's faces, you know. Where is him? And I see an eagerness to come to Jesus. He's broken, he gets there, right? And, and he, the one who had been calling to him, and then Jesus is gonna ask a question, okay? And he asks the same question with a couple of guys that we talked about last week. What do you want me to do for you? Can I ask you a question? Does Jesus know everything? Is he omniscient? Yes. What do you want me to do for you? What's your request? What was James and John's? 
answer. You do us a favor, we want to be in a place of power. We want to be on your left and on your right. What do you want me to do for you? This man, he wants to see. He's desperate. They wanted power. He's desperate. He wants his life changed. Now look at his answer because this is critical too. My rabbi. In the Aramaic, it's Rabboni. Rabboni. It's different. There's only one other time Rabboni is used, and it is after the resurrection when Mary Magdalene, who had been, her life had been changed by Jesus, her eyes are blinded to the resurrected Christ, and then she realizes when she hears his voice, it's Jesus, and she says, my rabbi, Rabboni. It's personal. It's not just your teacher, you're a good guy. It's you're my teacher, my Lord. It's personalized. Son of David, my Lord. I want to see. I want to see. Now, this is the key to the whole story. Jesus shows the heart of God. Remember, it's not by accident that this is right before he goes into the epicenter of religious worship for the Jews where there was spiritual blindness everywhere that he heals a man. Physical and spiritual sight are given. There's a point. It's the last healing Jesus would do before he would go into act three. Jesus said to him, I want you to see what we're shown here. It shows us the heart of God for people who eagerly and humbly come to him. What does it show us? It shows us grace. What is grace? Getting something that we don't deserve, which is salvation, (laughs) a relationship with God. What do we deserve? We deserve hell. We deserve separation. We're sinners. It's mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. It's He's showing us, Mark is showing us the heart of God. And Jesus said to him, go for your faith has healed you. Now, you need to know this. This in the English doesn't quite cover it. In fact, it's not just about a physical healing because the, physical, the word for physical healing in the Greek is not used here. It's actually another word that is used. Sozo. Your faith has saved you. Not only was the, we get so caught up on the physical healing or whatever, and I do believe that the Lord does heal people uh, still, today, he does, but sometimes he does not. But what this shows us, the greatest miracle that is ever done is whenever a heart that is blind and dead is made spiritually alive and can see. This is why he came. By the way, he raised Lazarus from the dead somewhere around this time as well. We got to know this, folks. Lazarus died again. He got a bum deal, man. He went through it twice. The point is this. He brings us from spiritual death that Ephesians talks about to spiritual life. He brings us from spiritual blindness. He heals us when we put our faith in him and gives us, he gives us spiritual sight. This is what it looks like when a heart is transformed and changed. The physical healing was a bonus. The Bartimaeus believed this about Jesus. He was the son of David, and he was transformed in his soul, and it changed his life. 
and he realized something. This was God's amazing grace. That's why that song is the way it is. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound, Bartimaeus could hear Jesus, that saved a wretch. There's the humility. Like me, you have to first humble yourself. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This is what it's about, amazing grace. It's showing the dramatic contrast of the faith of a blind man and his ability to now see spiritually, contrasted with the spiritual blindness that we're going to read about that's going to begin to happen in the fickle nature of the crowd. You realize the crowd turns on Jesus. Jesus goes from hero to zero in a matter of a week, a few days. The crowd will turn whenever they don't get what they want. And if you're here today and you have never understood or received the grace of Jesus Christ, what I've been praying all week is that the Lord would tug at your heart to let go of the spiritual pride if you've been a church person and say, you know what, today I want you, Jesus, as my Savior. I'm going to let all the church stuff, I just want you. And you know what this teaches us? He turns nobody away. Every one of us is important to him. And here's what it says. Lastly, instantly. Mark loves to use immediately, instantly. This happened. Boom. The man could see, and this is critical, and he followed Jesus down the road. Some believe that Bartimaeus' name was mentioned, that he actually became someone of prominence among the first disciples that he started following Jesus. Some believe he maybe was in the upper room with the 120 when the, when the day of Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit was given to them on that day. Here is what we see when our lives, and this was evident in my life, okay, and, and it's only by God's grace, when, when, when we are changed by Jesus, not of our own effort, there's a desire that begins to develop within us to follow Jesus, to obey him, to walk with him. Where was this man when the story began? He was on the outside, on the edges of the road. This is what Mark will do often. They're called Markin' sandwiches. He starts it this way, and then he shows how it's completely contrasted here. Where was he at the beginning, on the outside? Where is he now? Walking on the road with Jesus. This is what God does. He changes lives. He takes us in our places of desperation. He gives us sight. He gives us life. This is what we see. I want to just invite you to bow your heads with me right now as, we, as we're going to wrap this service up here in a minute. We're, we're going to sing a final song. And there are so many applications that I could give you today. I want to give you just a couple of quick things, okay? As our heads are bowed before the Lord, you're having a moment with God right now. You're having that private talk with Christ how does he want you to respond to what you've heard today? Maybe it's that you're in a place of brokenness today and Jesus is tenderly aware of your needs. This is what this shows you. He cares about the broken places in our lives. Even as you're in the middle of a crowd, he notices you. And he's moving among us right now. What does it also show us, church? It shows us that no one is a nuisance to Jesus. Maybe you've always felt like an outsider Maybe you've always felt like you weren't accepted. Jesus seeks you out. He's loved you. You are the reason that he came. Run to him today like Bartimaeus did. 
He's calling your name. Get up, go to him in faith and let him transform your heart. Church, this also should show us nobody is beyond Christ's love and concern. Amen? Nobody. Are you more of a roadblock as a religious person standing in the way of people getting to Jesus? Maybe people that are different than you, that are annoying to you, or are you a bridge? Do you have compassion for those who are struggling, who don't agree with you politically, who don't think the way you think? Do you see them as Mark, as a person that God loves? Are you following Christ? If you never put your faith in Jesus, call upon him to be your savior right now. Jesus, you are the son of David, the son of God. Save me. Father, we fall more and more in love with you as we read stories that are true stories about you. Would you transform our hearts to be more like you, Jesus? I pray for those that are struggling today, that Lord, as you are walking by among us in this room that you would transform lives by your power. We're desperate for you, Jesus. We need you. And we want you to change us, to be more like you. In your name we pray.